This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share, and collaborate. Hey there. Welcome to today. Welcome to Ian Weekly. This is your host, Todd DeVos speaking. And I have my co-host, uh, Dan, with me uh, back here. And today we're going to be talking about <clears throat> emergency preparedness um, and the emergency preparedness network that's been started, started by Paul Dutton um, is helping uh, communities uh, be ready. So uh, Paul has 20 years experience as a veteran in disasters, and he's been a community emergency response team leader, uh, instructor for over 20 years, working with the Sheriff's Department or L.A. County Sheriff's Department uh, and L.A. Fire. And, uh, yeah, so he's got some uh, experience in his background there. Hey, Dan, what yes, do, you think, do you think that we do a good job? I know we do. I know we try hard, right? But do we do an efficient job of getting our communities prepared? I do not believe we do. I think we, I think, I think many of us believe we do, but we don't do enough. I mean, there's not enough engagement and I think we do it at too small of a level. Yeah. Uh, we need to be thinking at a much larger scale. Um, we have com- full communities who need to be prepared, not just a small group of people, which is usually what we bring together. Uh, and it's usually in, re- in, in, as we're going to talk about today, uh, in, in the, the, it looks like a, a community emergency response team versus uh, community training itself. And I think we need to be thinking at a bigger level, but um, ultimately I feel we're headed in the right direction. I mean, we had Scott James um, on the the webinar we had last, uh, well, it was last month, I guess, and discussing community preparedness with his book. Uh, and, you know, I think they're doing a great job up there. But that being said, that's just one community. And now we have our, our guest today, Paul, who's talking about, well, kind of bringing it more globally than just in one community. So, Paul, welcome to the Ian Weekly Show. Hey, welcome, guys. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate being on. Hey, good morning. Good morning. So, Paul, morning. what kind of got you started? In like, what what was that fire that got underneath you to get you involved in community preparedness? I guess originally, geez, years ago when my kid was in junior high and we went to the schools uh, disaster plan, and um, you know they did a little evacuation. My wife and I looked at each other with our jaws dropped to the ground and said, oh, this has got to be better. So we actually started with uh, my kid's school and developing a whole new program for that school for, you know, an earthquake disaster um, preparedness plan and evacuations and all that kind of thing. Uh, And so after six years, uh, on the seventh year, finally, when she was in sixth grade, we we took the, the search to school took them an hour and eight minutes. We brought it down to 28 minutes. I searched an entire elementary school with multiple wow. buildings and kids and all that. So awesome. So locked us in. And then we took a cert class, I think in about 1999, 2000, went to my sheriff coordinator and said, Hey, really want to start the cert program. We started from goose egg. And then now we have trained over 700 people, you know, we've had 39 classes over the years. So, we average about three classes a year. So yeah. How'd you how'd you originally get that level of that little level of acceptance and buy-in to allow you to come in and, and make that change from uh, from the school to start with? That's I think that's a big aspect of things, especially now with the 
with the way things are. Um, so how did you get that buy-in and get that, that them to accept you to be able to come in and, and start making those changes? Gosh, I'm not really sure. Maybe my just my natural leadership ability, but I, you know, I also was uh, welding in Red Cross at the time, and the person in charge of it was a Red Cross person, and uh, she she basically <laughs> basically said, "You think you can do better? Go for it." So we did, and <laughs> we kind of launched into it from there, and uh, you know, and then we were taking cert classes, and then we we're like. Of course, we were also sheriff volunteers at the time, so we just kind of put it all together and said, "All right, let's let's make this plan work." We looked at other schools and other programs, and then by the like I said, the fourth, fifth, and sixth year, we must have had representatives from eight or nine schools from that district watching our our, our program at the last one. So, yeah. so now you live in an area that has a lot of fires um, and stuff, and so I know that you guys are active. Do you see that being? more people being involved in preparedness because they live in that area or are you struggling with the same ideas of trying to get those people? Because we talked offline and we we're talking about the fact that like, you know, 95% of, of the nation is not prepared for disasters. You know, you guys have a higher level up by, by where you're at or is it the same struggles? Well, yes and yes. We definitely have. I, in my cert classes, one of the things I tell them, I said, welcome to the land of locker center where we have hurricane force winds. Right. <laughs> um, We've, we've practically had tornadoes in our area. We've had um, down power lines, earthquakes, fires, floods, uh, you name it. Um, we even have our own bear encounters up here, so <laughs> drive-by shootings and all the rest. So uh, so uh, I have a whole line that goes with it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Crescenta Valley is just, just one of those areas where we're at the base of the mountains there, in the foothills and the San Gabriels. You know, the wind event of 2011, 2015. So, um, right. a lot of them. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, but you're right. It's a fight. Every time we're, we hold a class, we're blasting it out on the newspaper and the internet and social media. And we maybe get 30 people or 40 people, right? And it's like, God, you know, we'd like to have like 200 people. So, uh, when we had a community town hall meeting on emergency preparedness, and I brought all these factors in, you know, the fire department, the sheriff's department, and others, let them know that the fire department, the sheriff's department won't be there in a major disaster. As great as they are, we love these guys, but, yeah, they're going to be overwhelmed. And they have their own places to go to. So uh, you are going to be on your own. We're trying to get that word out. And so my wife and I have been doing that since uh, 2000. Um, and we started our CERT program with two premises because you're right. In La Crescenta, we live, well, we're, you know, a mile, half mile that way, we're in the city of La Canada, and a half mile that way, we're, you know, we're in the city of Glendale, and another half mile, we're I, the city of Los Angeles. So we started, my first premise was, let's put all this together. We talked to Glendale CERT, the Glendale Fire Department, and then the Glendale CERT Department. We started the La Crescenta CERT Department with the Sheriff's Department, with LASD, and then we're like, okay, well, now we have LA County Fire in here, Station 63. We have Glendale Fire, Station 28 and 29, right? We got in Tahunga, just a mile away, we got Station 74 from LAF, I mean, Los Angeles Fire Department, LA City Fire. And I said, well, wait a minute, there's still Southern Cal Edison we need to deal with, right? Southern Cal Gas, right? The Crescenta Valley Water District. And what about representatives from the school district? So we started this whole idea of community planning together way back then. And I brought in Red Cross. I brought in the disaster communication services from the 
Sheriff's Department, DCS, and Ham Radio Ops. And we started throwing uh, uh, trainings, you know, um, with all these people together, which was kind of unheard of way back in 2003 and 2004, 2005. Mm-hmm. So, and we've been continuing to do that. One of our biggest drills we had, in, we were one short of 100 people. We had 99 folks. And uh, we actually had a community-wide uh, drill where we had, you know, certain things were stationed all over the community. We had to go find them and then a deal with that particular problem. You know, so I had great support from the Montrose search and rescue team with the sheriff's department and my captain. Right. We worked really well together. And uh, yeah, he taught us a lot of stuff from that perspective and from the ICS perspective, because he knew I was in charge. The first thing he did on that drill is he, he, I, as soon as I got to the sheriff's station, I set up my little command post. He pulled me out and said, you have a heart attack. You're dead. Now what? So how is your team going to function now, Paul, without you? Right. So as he says, you get to tap one person and you have three seconds. I said, all right, you're it. (laughs) And uh, so we learned a lot of good things about backup, uh, you know, incident command and all those stuff. But, but yeah, we looked at that whole community process and we have been ever since. And our our second goal in doing uh, CERT here in Crescent Valley was, was making team locations. We have eight team locations or 10 team locations. Um, and two of those locations double. So, uh, so two teams go to the same area. And we looked at where would we go and what would be the best place to do that. So as we know, in a major disaster, the fire department's going to be out. So, but people may go to the fire department in that area and say, hey, I need help. So we'll set up the CERT um, post right there on their front lawn. And then we also looked at Red Crosses, like, look, you're going to need open area shelters. That's very much so. So we're like, all right, we'll be at all three of the parks. So we, we developed this, this whole system with these, these uh, locations, these 10-team locations through Crescent Valley, and we acted as if each one would be on its own. Then we started doing radio communications with FRS and radios, and then we started, we even used uh, ham, well, then we finally went to ham radio. And uh, I darn near cried on the, on the day that we had ham radios because I could talk to every one of my team captains in different locations all at the same time while I was driving with my ham radio guy in the car. It was pretty cool. So that's, uh, pretty cool. that's the way to go. That's why we, all, we got a lot of our folks ham radio trained. And um, we just kept going with that premise. All right. so those relationships built up ahead of time with the whole community, say in the station fire, for instance, uh, I'd been working with the Crescent Valley Water District. Dennis Earn at the time was the the head coordinator for Crescent Valley. And when the fire was breaking out, of course, our line, all the sheriff lines, the six phone lines at the station, were being overwhelmed, and he couldn't get through. And I know this because my wife was working there at the station. So he called me up because we had a relationship and said, "Paul, what did I, what should I do? This is four thirty, five o'clock in the afternoon. The fire's coming over the ridge." coming down into the backside of uh, La Crescenta and looking at right down into our backyards. And, I, and Dennis and I knew exactly what to do. I said, pump them up because normally they, they're, we have 11 big 500,000 gallon water tanks in La Crescenta. They're up on the, most of them are up on the hill. Nine of them are. And they don't usually pump them back up and fill those tanks up until 2.30 in the morning when the, when the energy is the cheapest. So Dennis and I had talked about all these kind of things ahead of time. And I said, pump them up, pump them up now, because as soon as the fire department starts tapping in there, every one of these fire hydrants, we're going to go to low on water. And usually at 4.35 in the afternoon, those tanks are somewhere between a third and a half. 
So yeah, we pumped them all up. And yeah, did the water did the the fire department think about this? Did the sheriff's department think about this? I still haven't gotten my gold medal on this, but yeah, I think we, <laughs> that was a pretty cool thing that we finally got them to save it. So, but well, that's a perfect example of working together, the whole community, and getting that. So, and then as positions change, it's difficult, you know. And there's fire department has three uh, shifts, you know, the A, B, and C shifts, and so you're always constantly trying to get a hold of the the new, um, you know, fire guy, captain for that area. So, but yeah, we keep continuing to do, you know, strive for that. Um, we've even given our, our team captains at times with command boards. So each team captain for his area had a command board. And then we had these sophisticated radio signals, right? So team one was on channel one and team two was on channel two and team three was on channel three and vice so on. So, but then we'd have ham radios at each of the, the stations that would call into the sheriff station where I was at, which was kind of like a little incident command post. So, so in Locker Center, yeah, we, we kept doing that. And that started, a lot of people started getting interested in that. Next thing I know, I was consulting other, other CERT programs, probably about 10 or 12 of them by now over Los Angeles County. So, before, um, so just to, as a lead in question to before our break, I'd like to like you to talk about. Um, your level of engagement to the community that gets them involved in the, in your programs and keeps them involved. So let's um, uh, kind of explore that avenue. So, yeah, our level of, of engagement is always difficult. It's always tough. Um, as the sheriff's department, um, I'm also the past president of the chamber and uh, have helped people on the town council, been very active in the community for a long, long time, uh, a business owner and those kind of things. So, uh, we kind of use that in our influence in the sheriff's department. My wife's like, the, you know, the president and been past presidents of the sheriff's support group. So we use that uh, to leverage, as, get as many people involved as we could. And as we started doing this, a lot of these people said, yeah, we really want to get involved in doing this. So we would reach out to the clergy. We would reach out to the Glendale Unified School District and all their principals. We taught them. And so we kept just going to these circles of influences and trying to get them into those each one of our classes. And, yeah, it's, a, it's always a struggle. So it's, it's like, you know, we'd have 38 signed up and, you know, 30 would show up kind of thing. So, uh, And then continuing to keep that on, a lot of our folks, now that we've been doing this for so many years, a lot of our team captains moved on, right, or moved out of the area or, or the, you know, retired and moved away and those kind of things. So it's to re-engage that. Now during COVID, we've been having Zoom meetings. We're going to have another Zoom on uh, March 13th on Saturday, you know, we open it up to the public and all that kind of stuff. But we usually have 40 to 60 people on our Zoom meetings. So um, it's difficult. It's difficult to keep that engagement going. And so we always joke and say, we just need a little 5.4 like Ridgecrest, you know, just to shake them <laughs> up a little bit. And, and then and boom. Class fills up really fast. So yeah. <laughs> well, we're gonna we're gonna jump to break here in a second here, but when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about that. That are we getting um, a little bit of disaster fatigue, and is it a bad thing for us? So let's hear from our sponsors. The Outer Limit Supply Company was founded on the idea of providing high quality first aid kits. Their goal is to supply the life-saving equipment you'll need to mitigate the majority of injuries often seen during austere times. From minor injury on an outdoor adventure with your family to your team responding to a major traumatic event, Outer Limits Supply has the kits to manage most situations 
providing practical, user-friendly first aid kits that anyone can use. Enter EM Weekly, all capitals, at checkout and save 20% off your total purchase. Go to www.outerlimitsupply.com today. That's outerlimitsupply.com. Power outages can happen at any time. Is your community prepared? The Power Up Solar Power Charging Trailer can be used to address the need for temporary power for your community. In addition, the Power Up Solar Power Charging Trailer can provide a platform to support your public information and community resiliency outreach efforts throughout the year to educate and inform people about the need to always be ready. For more information, visit PowerUpConnect.com. That is PowerUpConnect.com. Well, thank you for listening to those sponsors. So please check them out and, and let them know that you heard them right here from Ian Weekly because without them, we cannot bring you the quality content that we bring you. Hey, before we went on break, um, Eileen Ivy uh, reached out and she said, I'm sorry she missed the introduction. She goes, I'm in Glendale and she has her cert from 2010. She goes, are you looking for people? So, Paul, maybe you got a recruit right there coming from this. So. Yeah, yeah. We, 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 we reach out to anybody who's cert trained. And a lot of folks in Glendale, unfortunately, their program has kind of gone by the wayside for a little while. And uh, we welcome them with open arms. Uh, we're all trained in cert. We all need to be ready. So, yeah, come on over. Um, you know, hopefully you'll have my information here, and um, we can get you put into our uh, our system so we get you on their email list and put you with one of our teams. Look at that, Daniel. We're connected people uh, live on, on, the, uh, on the show here. That's awesome. So before we went to the break, we talked a little bit about the concept of we're seeing a lot of disasters come around, and we think that that, in time makes people get more prepared but however i think we're seeing like a little bit of a, a, a backlash that's not the word i'm looking for but we're looking the opposite direction is happening where people are just so overwhelmed with everything that's going on between covid and fires and earthquakes and hurricanes and tornadoes you know i just don't think they know where to start are we seeing this becoming apathetic towards disasters because of disaster fatigue kind of yes but kind of no um, I think some people are, but other people who've gone through these disasters like Texas and the rest, 73% of the country was, you know, had an average temperature of 23 degrees. You know? So um, I think I'm, we're starting to see an awakening or an understanding or an awareness, I should say, of, hey, maybe I need to be a little bit better prepared. And we're kind of trying to uh, go with that with our the Emergency Preparedness Network channel. That way we can reach more people. And our sole goal is to simply get more people prepared, right, for disasters and not get caught off guard like these folks in Texas and other places. Because everybody has those same six premises I say in my videos. Oh, it just won't happen here. It just won't happen to me. That won't be that bad. I can count on my neighbor. I can call 911, right? You know, so um, it's like, well, no, it does happen to you. And how many times we see someone on the news going, God, it just didn't think it would happen here. You know, it's like. It's like, yeah, the Woolsey fire traveled from the, you know, the beaches of Santa Monica all the way up to Bell Canyon in less than a day, 26 miles. I mean, a wind-driven fire. So, yeah, there's a lot of people, even celebrities, right, who had to evacuate. So it's like, yeah, it affects everybody. So I think we're seeing a lot of people understanding, like, maybe I should get ready or maybe I should get involved. And where, where do I go? What do I do? What's that three-day kit thing all about? And it's like, so one of our very first videos is, 
displaying that three-day myth that you're, you're going to not be ready for three days, which when we first started training back in 2000 or all that, right, we used to tell people three days, get a kit, make a plan, stay informed. That's the Red Cross stuff. I'm also a Red Cross volunteer for the last 10 years as well, involved in just about every aspect of Red Cross. And um, so in that that process, we, we told people, said, look, we gotta, we need to get ready a lot longer. So I tell them, put a zero behind that three. So we need to be ready for at least 30 days. I said, and the whole whole thing about that, even after even three days, the fairy godmother's not going to come down and wave her magic wand and say, okay, everything's going to go back exactly the way it was, right? right. So, yeah, people, I'm trying to get people that understanding. It's like I was telling you, Todd, you know, when we were offline, it was like, why do we learn more about how to put on a seatbelt on an airline than we do about getting prepared for an earthquake or a fire evacuation or a floods or the things that could affect us and do affect us almost every day? So, you know, and you alluded to it, you know, before the break, but it almost takes a, a disaster to happen to somebody before they realize I should have been prepared. So what kind what level of engagement do you have with the community to continue to push? Because it almost, it does need to be, I mean, disaster fatigue, I don't believe it's a real thing. Um, I don't. I think, uh, you know, I think um, they need to be hearing it over and over and over again and see how relevant it is to say it can happen anywhere at any time. And because we, as a country, we have a short-term memory. So what, what can we do to avoid having to have a major incident take place before people can, will, I should say, start to think in a preparedness mindset? I'm not sure. Um, but I'll tell you that in my CERT classes, when I finally get people to sign up and I tell them all the great things we're going to do in this class, and they get pretty excited. In the first two and a half hours of that class, I try to get these people into a fetal position. In other words, I try to square the crap out of them so badly that they're like, oh, my gosh. And it's not uncommon that at the 10 o'clock break, the wife is calling the husband and saying, you get down here, right? You need to learn this stuff. So because um, I, I, I paint a pretty bad picture of what a true 7.2 earthquake or this you know, great earthquake we've been talking about with Dr. Lucy Jones and the Golden Guardian concept, you know, project and all this stuff for years, the Great Southern Cali Shakeout. Like, this is what it's going to look like, and this is what's going to happen. And don't even think you're going to rely on your neighbors. Like, it's, you know, so we're all going to be on our own. I said, and everybody's going to be fumbling around trying to figure it out. So why haven't we prepared for this? And uh, you're right. It drives me nuts. Everybody has a very short memory, and it's like, shh, we go right back to it again. And I, when we had that little Ridgecrest, you know, shake up here in Los Angeles, well, we were only 100 miles away. I tell people, I said, you know, it was like a seven-point something in Ridgecrest. I don't remember what it was. I think seven it was point. one. Yeah, um, I might be mistaken. And I said, okay, bring that thing down exactly 100 miles, and you've been right in the center of Los Angeles. I said, so that would have been a whole different 4th of July for you. I tried to paint that picture of what that's going to look like, and it's not, you know, the press and everybody, they kind of just kind of roll over this. They don't, they don't tell the people the, the real reality of what this is going to look like. And yet we've seen this stuff, you know. We've seen these kind of things happen. We've seen the aftermath of tornadoes and stuff like that. We've seen the ma- I mean, right here in La Crescenta, we had floods after the fire, the, the station fire that just eliminated 42 homes, right? Paradise Valley had cars stacked four high in it, you know, down on the streets of K-rails that were not staked in, washed down the street like, like pretzel sticks. So we've seen this stuff, and I show all them that, since you live in the line of La Crescenta, I remember, I said, this is what could happen and could happen again. So you're right. It's a lot of apathy 
Right. So even in the, my my fire evacuation video or my red flag warning video, I tell them I said, look, we're looking at red red flag warnings from Santa Barbara County to the Mexican border. That's over twenty million people alone. I said, but and then Southern Cal Edison you know comes in with these calls and says, hey, look, you could lose power not for one but maybe two days because of these wind events. They're worried about fire breaking out. <laughs> we even had it the day before Thanksgiving. But, so I tell people, I said, okay, I guess you're just not one of those 20 million people that might lose power. Because you know, we all, right? And when they do, they're all so upset, like like they didn't didn't expect it. Uh, we, it's, you know, we build all our fault lines and we just have, you're right, Daniel. I'm not sure how we can convince them, but, you know, yeah, if I could <laughs> if I get Gover- Governor Newsom uh, at least did at least those program, that's a great idea, but there's so much more we need to do. And I've... I've been turned down from grants because he said this was an educational program. Hmm. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I said, just because you don't think it's important. I said, yeah, this should be taught in every, every elementary school or in our high school, as far as I'm concerned across the land. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I uh, talk about Thanksgiving. I actually lost power on Thanksgiving day right after we got finished uh, cooking dinner, not before we served dinner. Like we just got finished cooking the <clears throat> Turkey, pulled it out of the oven and we lost power. So yeah, it can happen anytime. They don't take it off for holidays. Wind events happen. So, well, Paul, you know, tell me, well, I want to get a little bit about your videos because this is why we have you on here. You created some resources for emergency managers and for community leaders to share with their communities on disaster preparedness. Tell us about your video series and how we can find it. Oh yeah. And we're on YouTube. It's at type, be sure to type in the emergency preparedness network. If you type in emergency, you know, we're going to get, 50 million YouTube videos. And I kind of went on to YouTube, you know, so uh, in my real estate industry, I was looking at stuff and I was like, I started looking in the emergency preparedness videos and I'm like, well, you know, there's stuff from, you know, the South Carolina nurses program and there's stuff from over here. And there's no offense to any of these programs, but you know, there's nothing really comprehensive. And I thought, and I thought something, you know, that really lays it out what, what you and your family need you know, kind of what we train and cert in our 24 hour training. So um, I said, why don't we get this going for the, for the general public? And so, yeah, I feel free all the emergency managers out there that are watching this um, people, anybody involved in emergency preparedness, feel free to share these. We want to get the word out. You know, we're, we're not doing this to make money. We're, we're doing this to help people, right. Get prepared for the next disaster. So We've rolled out 12 of these videos now um, from dispelling the three-day myth that you're going to be on, out there for 30 days to red flag warnings. we got fire evacuation coming out next week. Yeah, we're pumping one of these babies out every week. It's killing me, but, yeah, <laughs> we're, we're loving it. And um, we just want to get the general public aware. And, yeah, please feel free to use these um, and put them in your trainings. Use them on a Zoom for your own people and your own programs, uh, you know, the more people I use it and get, get them out, the better. And I am so open to anybody's ideas that they would like to see uh, and any, uh, anything, any other um, avenues they want to see us cover. We've gotten 12 videos. I got ideas for about another 30. So I think I'll, I'm, I'm good to 42 weeks. At that point, I might, I'll probably need more help, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, please send those ideas in. You know, I'm, we're looking into generators now and Generac systems and, what does that mean? And have you set that generator up? Have you even got one? Gee, we've been getting these red flag warnings like, you know, what, four times a, a month. 
So why aren't we getting ready? Why aren't we thinking our power won't go out? Right. Uh, so yeah, why haven't we done this? You're right, Daniel. It's like why people just don't think it just won't happen to me. Absolutely. Like even the fire's coming, you know, 300 yards away from the house. Like, oh, do I have to evacuate? <laughs> yeah. we, we've seen this stuff, you know. We've, we've been firsthand in the station fire, seen this stuff. So, yeah, and, and we're seeing it more and more because, you know, people, especially in California where people are moving into the urban um, and wildlife interface and, and it's uh, it's getting crazy. So, hey, Paul, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, I do appreciate it. And everybody, Paul's um, contact information is down in the show notes. So if you your pencil's not sharp or you're driving down the road and you couldn't put down that, uh, that URL, please just go to our show notes, click on it and go to there and, and give Paul some support. I tell you, the, the videos are great. It's a good, if you don't have to recreate training videos because Paul's done it for you, they're free. The access is there. It's just get our communities prepared. And that's what it's all about. So Paul, thank you for your time today. Thank you. Man. Hey, thank you so much, Tom, Daniel. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Bye. Hey everybody! Our next show coming up uh, next week is uh, is going to be the tsunami preparedness uh, week and uh, or month actually. This is what we're talking about here in March, and we have the USC's uh, earthquake country. Uh, Mark Bethian's coming on um, to talk about tsunami, tsunami preparedness, and tsunami response. So that's what we're doing next week. And so, hey everybody, listen. Be safe out there. You know, it's all going on. Uh, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube. Um, and also, don't forget about coming over to Crisis Cafe at www.crisis-cafe.com. And uh, join our network of emergency managers, for emergency managers, by emergency managers. And uh, Daniel, what do you got to say? Don't forget Clubhouse. Follow us on Clubhouse. We're going to be doing some rooms on there. And uh, uh, keep in touch. Share our share. Not only share these these podcasts but share these things so we can build our community hey everybody say hello to Jeanette our our uh, new uh, board operator over there yay Jeanette good job today all right we'll see y'all guys stay safe stay hydrated